Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Health Ignited, where we're igniting your health freedom through education and inspiration. And and on this platform, we're, we're talking about a lot of different things. But when it's just Dr. Sonia and I, we often talk about hormones and some of the things that we love to chat about. And today I'm actually I'm at the clinic. She's at home. We're not we're, we're finding time uh, in between our days and our boys and life to to record. So, uh, Sonia, how, how is everything at the house? Good. Actually, really happy to be here today. <laughs> Have the house to myself. It's always yeah. nice. Yeah. Sonia, got an, you got an IV yesterday and you love your IVs. It's been a while since you've got one. Um, but we always have a little trouble after your IV. Yeah. So you I don't know do what's some happened. Self-care. That's right. I've been doing them for so, so many years and used to get them every week. And now it's maybe once a quarter because of the pain that I'm in afterwards. So it's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah. So it's not the vitamins that they get her in pain. I think she gets no. traumatized when I give her a, a needle right. <laughs> <laughs> and then she gets a little inflamed, intense, right? A little irritated. Yeah. She bosses me around making sure I'm doing it right. And so I think the whole ordeal with giving you an IV tends to be a little um, emotionally disturbing. I, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. But it was quite amazing. I mean, you said this last night too, that the alertness Cause you, you've been like just flat out, you know, your hormones have been tanked <laughs> at the end of the night mm-hmm. and sleeping on the couch, you know, at the end of the day. And, um, you were full of energy last night. After mm-hmm. your IV. I noticed a huge difference after those IVs. That's why I miss them so much because I know they do replete me, especially when I'm in a phase where I'm feeling a little bit depleted and I'm in my second half of my cycle where I feel a bit more depleted always. So having IVs during that time is really helpful. It's just unfortunate that, I have to move through a little bit of pain the next day. Yeah. Yeah. So she woke me up in the middle of the night and uh, speaking of hormones and circadian rhythms and things like that, I had to massage her. I don't know for how long I was massaging you. I fell asleep with my 30 hand 30 seconds. Your... Oh, come on. <laughs> it was longer than that. You woke me up grunting, groaning, um, mm-hmm. and I was massaging you for at least, at least 60 seconds or longer, but it, it felt like it was at least five to 10 minutes mm. possibly right? No. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, uh, let's digress into the topic we're going to be discussing today, which, you know, funny enough would be correlated with, with a lot of our discussion around Sonia and in Sonia, she's 41 years old. She's in this sort of window of time, which is very interesting for women, uh, which she's going to speak to. And, um, and there's this phenomenon uh, that, that, you know, probably a lot of people have heard, especially probably more women than men, but of estrogen dominance. So speak to your, this, this time of your life, Sonia. Yeah, it's an interesting time because after children, um, your body shifts, your hormones change. And after 35, especially, you know, it's one of those things where you hear about things changing in your body and, when it happens, it kind of throws you for 
a loop because you're not really expecting it, especially when you're trying to do all the right things and you're eating well and you're exercising and you're, you're taking the supplements and yet you notice this real significant change in your body and your hormones. And so I started to feel slightly different after 35 and I had our youngest son at 35. So there was a combination of pregnancy and my hormones shifting. And 40, there was a huge difference in how I felt when it came to my hormonal cycle. So during these years, uh, women are more prone to estrogen dominance just because progesterone and testosterone have been declining since age 25. And with every pregnancy, we're losing about 15% of our testosterone as well. And now our estrogen is also starting to shift. So there is these moments or these years where estrogen um, tends to kind of dominate and not necessarily the estradiol, but estrone is trying to show up now a little bit more because it's the hormone that's going to take over when women shift into menopause. So I've been noticing this change in my luteal phase that wasn't necessarily there before. I first noticed it after um, Soren, so our second son, I, I think six months after pregnancy, there would be a day in my cycle where everything would shift. Like you were irritating me, the world was irritating me, and I could pinpoint exactly what day it was. And it was always right after ovulation. So I knew my luteal phase then needed some help and I did support it. And it kind of shifted for several years. But come 40, um, that time is feeling more challenging. Like I have to stay on top of everything even more to make sure that these last two weeks of my cycle are smooth or else I feel the breast tenderness or else I feel just that change in mood and outlook in life and energy. So all of this starts to happen because my progesterone isn't necessarily getting a chance to thrive in these two weeks because it's deficient right now. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned uh, a couple, two different types of estrogen. Can you, can you just lay out for women and men, because it's obviously affects us too. What are the three different types of estrogens and, um, and how do they, how do they interact with the body? Yeah. So estradiol is the estrogen that's um, dominating when we're in our menstruating years and estriol is a weaker estrogen, but it's high when we're pregnant and estrone is the one that kind of shows up after um, we move into menopause. All three are present throughout our lifetime, but they play a different role. So one is gonna be more dominating than the other. But when that shift is happening between the estradiol and estrone, that's where the challenge starts to show up because estradiol is really meant to help support our bones. It's, helped, it's meant to support our mucous membranes, our skin. Um, it creates more flexibility in our arteries. So it's a really supportive and nurturing hormone for different parts of our bodies. And when that's starting to tank during menopause, that's usually when women start to feel the hot flashes, the night sweats, the, the vaginal dryness, um, skin dryness, memory loss, incontinence. Like there's a huge gain, list of things. Weight gain around the abdominal area and um, osteoporosis. So there's a huge list of things that you can see that estradiol is supporting us in during our menstrual years. But unfortunately, the estrogen and progesterone, they kind of get attacked through our menstruating years because of our lifestyles and our environment and the toxicities in our environment. So then that's why that transition period from 35 on can be really challenging for a lot of women. Yeah, and, and we see this in our practice too. A lot of women are entering into this perimenopausal challenge what seems to be, <clears throat> excuse me, earlier than, than maybe before because of all this, this extra pressure and toxicity. And 
stress in our lives. Um, so uh, now with regards to um, testing, you know, can you test for estrone like, you know, in, in your blood, for example, like how do you, how does, a, how does one know when they're in estrogen dominance and when mm -hmm. that's playing a role? Yeah, so blood can be great to measure estradiol and um, different points of the, the cycle if you're still cycling. So you can do a test between day three and five and then another one between day 19 and 21. So essentially you're just looking at estradiol at that time. And when we're doing a blood test, the, the hormones are coming out in pulsation. So it can vary from one moment to another. However, by doing you know your measurements on day 19 to 21, you can kind of look at your estradiol and your progesterone and just see the ratio that it's kind of playing out um, in those days. More accurate would be um, a Dutch test. So looking at your urine and looking at your metabolites. So that's where estrone can be measured. And also you can measure the metabolites of estrone. So there's a metabolite of number two, four, and 16. And each one of those play a different role. Like number two is very protective. Number four has the ability to change our DNA. So it can be problematic. And 16 is the one where if that's too high, it's at, there's estrogen dominance. If that's too low, there's estrogen deficiency as well. So it's a real fine balance between these estrogens. I think a lot of time when we hear estrogen dominance, we kind of make estrogen like the, the evil part of our hormones, but really it's necessary. It's just, it's gone off balance because of the environment and other stresses. So women who are presenting with say low progesterone in relation to estrogen or some of these mismatched uh, ratios between the two, the 16 and the four, what are some of the more typical gynecological issues that women are dealing with that we see, I mean, more and more of, yeah. or, or I, sh I should say that you usually see more and more of. Yeah. Yeah. So if a woman's still menstruating, she'll notice in her last half of her cycle that um, she may have some breast tenderness. She may have changes in her mood, whether that's anxiety or even um, depression and a bit more sadness. Um, there's also going to be just changes in libido throughout the cycle as well. She may also present with um, cysts, with fibroids, um, headaches, also premenstrual insomnia. So these things will show up during those two weeks. If a woman is in perimenopause and menopause, that's where the hot flashes and night sweats, which is kind of tricky because you would think it's just because the estrogen is low, but really low progesterone will also mimic some of these symptoms. Um, and insomnia is a really big one and really, really high anxiety. So a woman that has these imbalances, especially with the fibroids. So a lot of um, doctors will tell women, well, just wait till menopause and it'll shift. So because your hormones are going to tank at that time, so there won't be anything feeding those fibroids. But really what that is, it's indicating that you've been living in estrogen dominance or progesterone deficiency for a good chunk of your um, lifetime when it comes to your menstrual cycle. So there's an underlying issue with communication in your hormones. So even when you transition, sure, the fibroids may shrink a little bit, but that may turn into a different problem in your body. It might not show up in your uterus. It might show up somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, can you, can you describe what a fibroid is for women mm -hmm. and, so, and maybe some reasons why women become more estrogen dominant? Yeah, so a fibroid is basically your endometrium, like the tissue has come together and it's created almost like, I, I've always pictured them like little golf balls in the, the uterus and um, they can vary in size. They can be quite small, they can be quite large. And 
the reason for the estrogen dominance in today's world is really the toxicity piece. It's our environment. So pesticides on our foods look like estrogen. The plastics that we're surrounded by, our water supply may have hormones in it. Um, soy products are in everything. And then just toxicity from the environment like phthalates and um, heavy metals will also change um, how well our cells are absorbing these nutrients and these hormones. So it kind of changes the ratio of what's getting expressed and then stress, right? So we're living in a world where we're running from one thing to the next. And in those moments, we're increasing our cortisol to help support that state of stress. But when we're there, progesterone is getting converted into that cortisol continuously. So if we're continuously in a state of survival, we can't necessarily thrive and the progesterone is not going to be able to do what it needs to do, creating that gap between itself and the estrogen, which creates more of that estrogen dominant picture. And then the last one I want to speak to is insulin. So when insulin is not being managed, that also is going to contribute to um, estrogen dominance. When we're not sleeping well, that's going to contribute to estrogen dominance. So a lot of women women past 35, 40 will start talking about, you know, the fat around their belly and say, yep, I do everything. I'm doing keto. I'm fasting. I'm doing all these things, but I'm not losing weight. And it's because of that extra estrogen dominant state. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's so common and it's so common that, that women actually are living in these estrogen dominant states, not, not even knowing that they have fibroids, you know, until mm -hmm. maybe, maybe a pregnancy or a miscarriage or, you know, enough, you know, uh, I guess, loss of blood where they go and get a pelvic exam. Um, can you also speak to endometriosis? Because I know that's another common one. And, and it seems so, you know, difficult to support, uh, you know, in a conventional model. Yeah, that's a, it's a tricky one, because it's not well understood and the reasons behind why it shows up. So endometriosis, again, the endometrial lining is essentially trying to escape the uterus. So you may find some of that lining in the ovaries or the fallopian tube. You may find it in the gut. You could even find it in the nasal passages. So depending on the severity of the endometriosis, it's basically there's inflammation. And now the, this tissue is trying to find a home somewhere else in the body. And it usually does begin with that state of estrogen dominance. But more often, what I see with endometriosis, there's been a really deep trauma that's happened that's created that environment. So whether that be sexual abuse or a sexual encounter that didn't feel safe or some other trauma in their childhood or even a divorce, like, uh, you know, these are women that I've worked with in the last 10 years. Those were the triggering moments or experiences that created this place where or this feeling inside of them that didn't um, create safety or security. So it's like their uterus then was trying to find that in other places because they were feeling stuck. So when a woman is feeling stuck, a lot of times endometriosis, fibroids, cysts are very much connected to the feeling of resentment or lack of forgiveness for self and guilt and shame and all these different deep emotions. And, you know, the physical aspect of the estrogen dominance is absolutely there, but that shows up usually after the emotion has already created this anchor in their reproductive organs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you, you brought it to that discussion too, because it's obviously such a huge part. Um, and especially, you know, the role that women play you know, as a, as a mom and this expectation of, you know, having to produce and work, it's a, it's a very different 
time for women than what it was, you know, 40, 50 years ago, even. And so there's definitely a lot more expectation on, on women and uh, to be the center of the home and to, to be the stability. And so it's also easy for them to not feel that, that, that safety net in that community. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you brought attention to that. Yeah. Well, I also think we should talk about men because we're seeing estrogen dominance in men. So what have you seen um, and how have you seen that show up for men in your practice? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, t- just to highlight some more points that you, that you talked about. So, I mean, there's a lot of what do men typically do when they hang out with other guys is they, they, they drink alcohol, right? There's this, you know, a misunderstanding around the role of, of how alcohol can also be a significant disruptor in testosterone <clears throat> and contribute to estrogen dominance. Uh, there's also lots of a few of a, a number of different medications that also contribute to higher estrogen load, like antidepressants, anxiolytics, and things like that. And you know, technically, w- the more stress we put on our liver, the more we can get out of balance uh, with with our testosterone levels. And you also brought up insulin resistance. You know, we know that high insulin equals low testosterone. So, you know, if whether or not someone's in this state of insulin resistance or deeper into this diabetic picture, testosterone is going to be manipulated. And often um, we'll see this concomitant rise in, in estrogen. So for men, you know, it's kind of similar stuff. We're we're more moody. We, we're less patient with our partners or with ourselves. Uh, we've lost some of that zest for life. Uh, definitely weight gain. Um, you know, the quote unquote man boobs that can show up with higher estrogen in the body. Um, and and really, I think you know a big part of. Uh, the male psyche is to, to accomplish and drive and be projection sort of projection oriented. So getting things done and fixing and that kind of thing. And so when we, when I think that when we start to feel a little bit more insecure in ourselves or we feel um, less, vi- less vitality, lower libido, maybe there's erectile dysfunction going on. Uh, there's usually some real you know, obstacles in our estrogen to testosterone ratios and so, you know, over time, you know, in the aging man, that can be prostate issues. You know, it can be like the gynecomastia or the man boobs. It can be all the, the emotional changes and decreased muscle mass and strength and those kind of things. So, um, yeah, it's a problem for us, too. And, and it's because of these environmental influences, as you spoke to, that, that are, you know, I guess, increasing the, the prevalence of, of this imbalance. Maybe talk about the connection between estrogen and testosterone, because you spoke about how testosterone is declining. So what does that do to their estrogen and how, how does that create estrogen dominance in their bodies? Yeah, for, for many reasons, but I think probably some of the most common is, is that like all these hormones, as you spoke to, kind of cascade down from cholesterol. Right. And so on one side, you've got the progesterone, which eventually converts into cortisol. On the other side, you've got cholesterol going down to pregnenolone into DHEA, into estrogen or into testosterone. And so when, when that lifestyle is conducive to, you know, higher stress, nutrient depletion, um, uh, or even some men who are using the like the hair loss formulas, uh, the 5 alpha reductase inhibitors. Uh, and, and zinc depletes in the body and toxicity rises, we get this natural shift of our testosterone into estrogen. And so we can, you know, we see this a lot, even with men doing uh, testosterone replacement therapy, as you give more testosterone, the body will naturally convert a, a chunk of that into more and more estrogen. 
and so a lot of men who are doing the, you know trt um as a replacement a hormone they often aren't really taking a close enough look at this this relationship to estrogen and that's super important because you know just because you can dump more testosterone and doesn't mean that you know you're going to feel all the the wonderful benefit of that because we have this natural tendency and i think you know for a lot of people too we don't realize the impact of just liver detoxification because a lot of the the hormones have to be processed through the liver uh, require certain enzymes. And, and a lot of us, you know, in this modern world, again, toxicity is probably one of the bigger reasons why is that our ability to break down estrogen isn't as efficient as it maybe was when we were younger. And so some of us, uh, women included, just have this natural tendency to rise higher and higher levels of estrogen. And so when let's, let's take that into the level of blood work. You know, one of the things that we haven't spoken about that, that's beautiful in the blood work and a hormone panel is the sex hormone binding globulin, which, you know, when that rises as a result of liver toxicity and too much estrogen, too much stress and cortisol, um, maybe, you know, a really crappy diet, you know, too many carbohydrates, not enough essential fatty acids and those kind of things, mineral deficiencies, you know, zinc goes down, all our detoxification pathways are, are kind of getting exhausted and your SHBG starts to rise, or your sex hormone binding globulin. And 98% of your testosterone is bound up to this. So even when we're doing a, a blood screen for total testosterone, if it doesn't have this reference point of sex hormone binding globulin, that, that major utilizer of, of testosterone, once it's bound to, to that protein, the sex hormone binding globulin, you really, it's, in, it's ineffective in its use. And so you can have a normal testosterone level in your blood, a high SHBG, and, and basically that's testosterone deficiency, you know, as a result of this high estrogen. Yeah. And that's why a lot of times the, the hormone replacement won't necessarily work or they're feeling the same where you hit a plateau because if, even the things that you're injecting in the testosterone is going to get bound up by that sex hormone binding globulin. So then if you reverse engineer that really the solution to that is to detox is to support the liver is to look at the upstreams triggers that are creating that toxicity is to look at your environment to see are you eating organic are you um what's your home environment like what products are you using are you using things that are going to disturb your um, hormones in your body so when looking at that that detoxification process really has to be the the first step into looking at hormone health yeah yeah and we and we talk a lot about just you know detoxification first as you know looking for those source things you know and we didn't bring this up but you know metal fillings are, are a huge source of mercury for for all of us and and that that becomes a leaching mechanism into our body which you know has this estrogen mimicry process and and affects our liver detoxification and all those other things so um, that step one might be, you know, really looking at your environment and, and removing the known sources that you can maybe visiting, you know, a holistic or biological dentist to help with proper safe mercury removal and, you know, switching over to organic and all that stuff. And then the, the second thing we usually teach is in order to prepare for detoxification, you have to fix those cell membranes. And so getting, you know, the right essential fatty acids and amino acids in and, and all of that stuff, um, and then the body is more ready to, to, to get rid of stuff that it, that it, that it shouldn't be accumulating. So mm -hmm. there's, there's a real problem. I mean, there's more to it than that, but I think, you know, setting the stage for people and it really comes down to as you, what you speak to a lot is this communication system. And if we haven't 
put the right nutrients into the body, we're not going to be able to communicate these hormones effectively to the tissues that need that support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's so many nuances to it as well. You know, when you're speaking to zinc, um, we're seeing more and more a lot, especially men are very deficient in zinc and zinc is actually very supportive for progesterone. So when we're deficient in zinc, maybe there's copper piping in our home and we're not Mm -hmm. even aware of it. And it's something that we're getting exposed to every single day. So now the ratio in our body between copper and zinc is altered. Maybe a woman has a copper IUD and that's also affecting her progesterone stores and just how well um, progesterone is going to work and how well her body's going to detoxify. The other element of detoxification, the methylation process that, you know, I think a lot of people have heard of um, methylation now. It's kind of It's a fancy word that's out there in alternative medicine. Um, I found out in my DNA testing that I don't methylate well. So that's something that I need to support in my liver in order for my hormones to be healthy and strong. So there's lots of different layers when it comes to hormone health. And I think that's the point that we want to make is that it's not just about replacing your hormones and it's not just about testing them and seeing how these hormones are causing the problem. It's about looking at your hormones, and then recognizing what are the triggers that have created the communication that have allowed these hormones to get to where they are today. Mm-hmm. One, one thing that I think uh, that would be helpful for, for a conversation on this estrogen dominant topic is, is birth control pills. Like you, you mentioned the copper IUD, but what kind of role are the birth control pills playing uh, on this estrogen dominant state? And obviously this can be a really sensitive topic for, for women because there is some level of security when birth control pills are there. It becomes a, a lifestyle choice often first before it becomes um, you know, uh, a concern for, for health. So can, can you speak to that a little bit too in relation to estrogen? Yeah, I think there's layers to that as well, because there's different types of pills, right? So you're either going to get one that's um, more estrogen, um, or you're going to get one that's progesterone only, or the estrogen progesterone mix. Um, You want to look at what generation the the pill is, because a lot of them are actually made from testosterone. So you're not only affecting your receptors for your estrogen and progesterone, but also the ones for testosterone, which will change your libido, it will change your outlook um, on life, even with your partner. And there, it kind of creates this feeling of numbness almost. But like you said, it's, it's a choice that some women need to make depending on where they are in their lifetime and um, lifestyle. So you want to make sure you just understand what your particular birth control is made from, what ratio of um, hormones are in it and how that hormone will affect your overall outlook in life and also your internal environment when it comes to your hormonal story. So in that moment, when you're taking the the pills, you may not notice a lot, but as soon as you want to come off of it, say, you know, it's time to maybe start a family or it's something that you just want to experiment and make sure that your body is um, functioning on its own too, without this exogenous hormone that transition may be challenging for some women because now we've created this environment where our own stores don't necessarily know what to do when it comes to secreting progesterone and estrogen. We don't have that cyclical movement or flow of these hormones every month. Essentially, we're just getting high amounts of hormones and then they drop and then we have a letdown bleed. So it's not even really a true shedding of your uterine lining. So I think there's lots of different layers to that question and understanding Um, when women have the Mirena, it's only progestin. So 
anytime we put something exogenous in the body that it's not familiar with, the body wants to move into homeostasis always. So it's going to try to find ways to deplete something so that it can create that homeostatic state. So if we're increasing that progesterone that's synthetic, then the estrogen is going to fall. So instead of estrogen dominance, you may have the opposite effect happening where you're not getting enough of that protective estrogen for your bones, for your mucous membranes, for your cardiovascular health as well. And, you know, it's very depleting on a lot of our um, vitamins and minerals like B vitamins, zinc, particularly um, magnesium. Uh, the morena specifically has plastic in it. So that's also something to think about. Sometimes it, get it gets dislodged in women and it creates pain during intercourse. So these are just all elements. And I know I'm speaking a lot of to the negative elements of it, but it's important to understand so you can make the right decision for yourself. And then there's these positive elements, right? It gives women more control over what's going to happen in their life. Maybe they're in a time in their life where they're going to school or they're working on their career or they're in a relationship that doesn't feel safe. You know, there's elements of this um, birth control that can give them a sense of power and empowerment that is also important to look at when you're making these decisions. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you, you brought that up because I know it's not, it's not an easy conversation because you, you also get used to a way of life with this, mm -hmm level of security and and like you said control and it becomes uh i imagine again i'm speaking on the outside in but i imagine it becomes a difficult decision for for women um to to take that away and yeah. you know so to that point is is there other options that people can do to to sort of monitor uh, themselves for for when fertility is more likely like different methods of birth control yeah so, I mean, again, depends on where you're on your life. If you're in a steady relationship and it's somebody that you're with that maybe in the future you are thinking about starting a family with, there is, there's the rhythm method, right? There's these other elements that you can use. There's the billings method. Um, so when you, but you have to be really tuned into your body. You have to look at your cervical mucus. You want to be taking your temperature. You want to be monitoring your cycle to see exactly where you ovulate. Um, you want to really get tuned in so that you know what the safe days are in quotation marks and which ones aren't. So you just have a better understanding and maybe there's other contraceptives that you're using. So it just, it's very dependent. It's so individual. You can't really make a broad statement about like what the best method it really is um i think it's gonna really depend on where a woman is in her life yeah i got a question for you like where would you like to see women you know with in in their monthly cycle relationship because again i'm speaking as a man i feel like it would be really empowering to know myself um and the cyclical pattern that would show up each month like i feel like i would and, and maybe it's just my personality i feel like i would really want to know it really well um and yet you know, that's obviously not the case for everybody. We all have different personalities. Um, but like, what would be your wish for, for women in this relationship? Yeah, I think that just um, taking the opportunity to discover your unique like hormone imprint, which is in your monthly cycle. So getting really tuned in to like what's happening in those first two weeks, like how are you feeling? What are you craving? Um, how are you moving? Um, what is happening for you in that time and then also in the second half of the cycle as well like how are things changing for you how is your mood changing how is 
um, the way you want to exercise changing. So the more tuned in you get, the more you start to understand what's happening, what hormones are shifting and changing, the more you can serve the cycle. So then the cycle can serve you. Because a lot of times women are not looking forward to their cycle because it's creating so much havoc in their relationship to themselves and also their outwardly relationships. It changes how they might be reacting to a situation from like one week to another with totally different reactions, which could change their life trajectory. So I think the more tuned in you get, the more grace you can have towards yourself, the more understanding you have of like, okay, this is the week where I am more sensitive. So I'm going to be more sensitive to the world. So maybe I don't watch the news or maybe I'm just careful of like who I speak to this week, or maybe I'm just taking more self-care time and slowing down a little bit. So the more tuned in we get, the more we understand that there's nothing wrong with us. It's just our cycle is just there to tell us what's happening in our um, in our workings. So the more we relate to it, the easier it becomes to flow with it instead of like against it. I, I love how you're describing it because it really it's it's like naturopathic medicine for your cycle. You're being prevention mm -hmm. and proactive minded when it comes to knowing how your mood, your energy, your food choices, all these things are influenced so much by the hormones. And, and, it, and hopefully people, when they sort of reflect on that, they just realize the power that these little molecules have in the body, like that chemistry that's created at these different times in the cycle that can be somewhat predictable and you can kind of plan around it. You know, I, I was thinking even, you know, if you're to go on a vacation or you're, or um, you've got a, a, an important meeting or talk coming up that, that you could almost be more strategic with what time of the month. And, and well, you can you, try yeah. and then life happens because <laughs> right. everybody outside of you isn't going to move with your cycle. Unfortunately, like your family is not going to move that way. Your, your work life isn't going to, but if you have an understanding of your own response in those um, experiences, it makes it easier for you. Cause that mm. would be a whole lot of navigating of like a lot of other people's lives to make sure that it fits, you know, our cycle, which, you know, that'd be amazing, yeah. but it's not, I don't, I don't know if that's actually realistic. It would be great. Well, you, you talk a lot about this, like back in the day, all the women used to get together and just mm -hmm. sort of have, um, you know, this community time, this, this female time, mm -hmm. um, you know, is there, is there truth to that? Yeah, well, if you think about women when they're together, they'll, their periods will sink together, right? So I think we are meant to flow at the same time. And that's, that would make it a lot easier, but we don't live in that village community anymore. We don't, that's just not what life is in our modern day life. So we have to kind of adjust and pivot to what life is right now. Yeah. And, you know, for us, the you and me, it's helpful for me to know, you know, maybe not every partner wants to know, uh, in not, not that you have to get into all the little details with your partner. Um, but it is helpful to know because I, I can kind of see your energy shift through the month and it, it helps me understand is, and again, as long as I'm not labeling you, this is why you're behaving, you know, as I, as I alluded to in the last podcast, mm -hmm. <laughs> But uh, it's helpful, I think, to have that conversation. Like I'm, I'm experiencing different hormonal soup right now. This is like, you know, maybe I'm not as interested in, in cuddling right now, or maybe I just need a little more alone time or, Hey, you look really good. I, you know, uh, let's, let's go, let's go for dinner or something, you know, like there's, there's maybe different cues or conversation or communication that can, can happen in a relationship when, when women take that more active role. 
Yeah, it's just you become more tuned in to yourself so that you can create that relationship with yourself. So then your outward relationships are also more relaxed because there's just a deeper understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, is there anything else that you want to uh, send out there to the to the world on estrogen dominance and um, maybe some action steps for for people to take? Yeah, I think just, you know, looking into it more, um, reflecting on yourself. Is this something that you're dealing with? Um, look at your environment, look at your triggers, look at your daily choices. Like from the moment that you wake up, what are you using on your body? Will it disrupt your hormones? What are you putting in your mouth? Will that disrupt my hormones? Um, just being really aware and mindful of the daily choices, I think is the, the first step to understand if this is a state that your body may be in. Yeah. And then maybe next step would be to get some, like, get let's some say testing. something's happening, get some testing done. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, get some. And even if, you know, something isn't happening, I think uh, it's good to have a foundation with your testing to see what your hormones are doing. It just gives you a deeper understanding. I've had that happen many times where, because we're not always tuned in to what's happening. Because mm -hmm. uh, like you were saying before, it becomes the normal, right? So in order to step out of that state, we just, we have to disrupt it somehow. So just getting a test done to see what your body is doing in this moment can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right, my beautiful wife. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom. We talked a little bit about men too, you know, so, because obviously we're part of the, the equation as well. So I'm glad we got a chance to talk a little bit more about this really important topic. Um, yeah. we got some fun guests coming up in the weeks ahead, but, uh, Sonia and I will keep dropping more information on hormones and your health and, and women's health, men's health, uh, relationship, et cetera, et cetera. And for those of you that do tune in regularly, you know, please, uh, send us some, me some messages, let us know what topics you're more interested in listening to, or guests that you'd like to have on, uh, and, uh, yeah, keep the conversation going. So, yeah. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you tonight. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited Podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.